I was really fascinated a few years ago as I, as I read about a, a prayer group that was formed by Mother Teresa. This really touched me. And, and the purpose of this group, is, as she talked about it, was to pray for the women in her sisterhood as they ministered to the poor. Okay, that was their purpose. So she said, I need a prayer group of people who are going to pray for us and all the sisters with me as we minister to the poor. And so she put the call out to women, and the women who responded to this call to prayer were a unique group of women. And as I recall it, every one of them who responded were ill. They were sick. And in fact, most of them who joined her prayer group had a terminal illness. Now that's different. That struck my soul when I read it. Why would women whose destiny is under stress want to give their last few, perhaps precious hours in prayer for others? Makes no human sense. Why would women decide that that's the best thing they they could do with their lives? Imagine, imagine being a person who's extremely sick maybe dying, and joining a prayer group that prays for the living, that prays for others as they go about living and and skipping through life, doing the things that are fun for them that perhaps the person praying doesn't get to do. That's different, and that struck me. And she wrote that these praying people realized that during the times that they were in pain or suffered, when they prayed, they were comforted. And she wrote that they said even their pain decreased. And some preferred to pray rather than even take the pain medication. It's striking to me. That that does something in my heart. And it lets me know that they knew something, maybe perhaps more than I know. They were experiencing something or had experiencing something in life that maybe I had not experienced when I first read it. Because I'm telling you, I look like a great and wonderful guy, but I am selfish, self-centered. I want to say just like you. I can be. You know what I hate when I can't find the remote? That's what's wrong with marriage in America today. You women put those remotes anywhere you want. You don't even know where they are. And the guy comes in, he's being all self-centered. He wants to watch the OSU game. And he can't find it because he can't find the remote. Okay, that's just a thing. I want you guys to pray about that. And if that's how self-centered I am. Where's the remote? I'm sorry, I have a headache. I'm in bed. Well, would you get up and find the remote? That's me. That's how selfish I am. These two illustrations I gave you, that quote and this story from these wonderful women that I wish I could have met, are are like the words of Jesus. They have one thing in common, and that is what seems bad or terrible or uncomfortable or different might end up being really good and even blessed or that good can come from it. Deeper than that, it might lead us to this state of blessing with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 kicks me also in the teeth when I read it. He says this, the word says, according to Paul, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now I read that and I go, that's provocative. Everything? 
Everything around me can work for my good. Is that what you're saying? Because there are a lot of things that aren't good around me. There are a lot of some deep and scary things like cancer isn't good. Traffic accidents aren't good. Drug addiction isn't good. Cats aren't good. We all know that. There are a lot of things that are bad. Yet God says he can take things that are bad and reshape them and and rethink them. And I don't think for one moment that Christians are supposed to skip our way through life giggling and seeing everything as sugary and sweet. And I've met people like that, and and I don't feel like they were very real. And I also don't believe that we need to be crazy and uncooperative with our culture and everything around us. I mean, think that can be defeating. But once again, let me say, God has a way of taking something we think we understand and going deeper with it so that he, in the midst of everything around us, even the bad, can show us his kingdom. And that'll give you something rich inside of you that is transforming when you're facing bad and in the midst of it, God works inside your heart and he lets you feel a prompt even when you're having a terrible day to pray for someone else whose day may appear to be very good and God says pray for them. God is showing you a piece of his kingdom. I love it. It transforms us. And God doesn't stop when you're saved changing you. He's constantly transforming you. You're always growing. You're always evolving. You're always moving forward. And it's there for a purpose, to unfold the kingdom of God in you and also to unfold the kingdom of God in the lives of people around you. My life should be a doorway to the kingdom of God for those who watch me, my children, my my son, my daughters, my wife. Transforming. I love it. Here's how another author put it that I thought was really striking. He said this, God can take things that are bad and put them in the crucible of his wisdom and his love. He works all things together for good and he gives us the glorious, wonderful promise that he's going to do that. So not only does God do that, he promises he will do that and he follows through with doing that. So he takes things that are bad and he puts them in the crucible. A crucible is a is a vice grip. It's a place of pressure. And sometimes you may feel like you're in some pressure. You're being compressed, that life compresses you. And God says even in moments like that, he can come in in that pressure of his wisdom and love and take the pressure that you're feeling off you and forge something beautiful and new in you. I love it. Because here's the, here's, here's the deal, guys. This is not just a promise of God. This is an everyday thing. God knows where you live and he knows it's nuts around you sometimes. He knows our friends next door are in pain. And these beatitudes that Jesus gave us define a transformed life. And they're very famous. You've heard about them, but they're easy to overlook. They really are. They're they're poetic. They're deep. They're rich. And I believe that no amount of study can take you deep enough, I feel at least, to exhaust the richness of God's thoughts that he's invested in these words. The word means blessing supreme blessing, more than just blessing, but supreme, holy blessedness. It can also mean blissfulness or pure joy. Mm. It's amazing to me. And they describe a place where God wants us to dwell. And I call it, this was my words for this, 
that when we live out the Beatitudes, that we're living in a place of blessed difference. And Jesus is talking about something really, really wonderful here. And there's no get-rich-quick scheme or three easy steps to financial success or a fitness program. It's about something else. By the way, if any of you have a legitimate get-rich-quickly plan, I'm interested. And if there's a fitness program that doesn't involve exercise, I'm also interested. But Jesus didn't say anything about those things. That's not what he's going for. And you never know where the kingdom of God is going to lead you. And for sure, these wonderful principles that Jesus was giving to those he loved so much, they're more than just good ideas, more than just reflections, more than just guidepost poems to make us feel sort of good for a moment. They're, a, they're another way that God works in us to help us to think more about what's going on around us and in us. And through the study of these Beatitudes, I believe God even gives us more than we're capable of appreciating and maybe more than we're capable of doing, at least without His Holy Spirit. Because when I read those things, I'm a little bit stunned. And Jesus gives us a number of principles for being blessed. At least that's how I'm bundling up into eight categories. You could look at it differently, but they're provoking and rich. And I just want to go through and list them. And if we don't get to all of them today, we'll we'll start into them again next week because I think they're so important and it's worth taking some time with each one of them to try to let it sink in. And as you read them and you hear me talk, see what bubbles up in your life about where these may be at work or not at work. So I'm going to give you several moments in time and life when you're in a place of blessed difference. The first one is this, when you realize that you need God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. At the end of ourselves. The New Life Version puts it this way, I like it. Those who know there is nothing good in themselves are happy. Because the holy nation of heaven is theirs. And the message takes it way out there. It's interesting. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Poor in spirit is about realizing that everything inside of us pales in comparison to God's greatness. It doesn't mean we don't have enough confidence to go to work or achieve in life. It just means this. We are nothing compared to God's greatness. We're poor compared to his richness. A million bucks in my pocket is nice, but before God, I'm poor. And this verse is about a power shift. Because we place so much power in our accomplishments. Money gives us power. Accomplishments gives us power. Success gives us power. And when we live by this principle of being poor in spirit, we give all that power back to God, who, by the way, has it already. We just need to realize it. It's a state of mind. It's a state of mind and soul as we recognize that God is the source of all. And Jesus says, when you realize this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Everything that God has in the kingdom of heaven is is now yours it's just there for you and doesn't that make sense if you don't realize you need it you're not even going to ask for it but when you realize you need it you get it 
It's wonderful. When, when you realize you're spiritually broken, you can access all of God's wonderful help. It, it's, it's, it's more than you can imagine. And last week I talked about it being like windows of heaven that open God's intentions and gifts open up to me when I'm weak enough to realize it. It's simple, really. So much that God offers comes because we simply become hungry for it. And I'm challenging you to be hungry. James chapter 4, verse 2, also provocative. He says, do we have things on the screen? Is it happening? Oh, cool. Thank you, Bray. You're awesome. Uh, You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. That's rich, man. That That is good scripture. The appetites we have aren't all bad, guys. In fact, many are good. We're we're called by God, you've heard me say this, to accomplish and achieve this earth. But when we look to do things without God, it can degenerate into simple human conquering, human solutions. And as Dames suggests, it can lead in awful cases to quarreling and even murder. Murder is a bad solution to a human problem. And people do it every day. Look around you at the world's solutions that history has given us. Anger, hatred, unreasonable competition, war, killing, awfulness. And so God says, just do this for me. As you live out your days, do this one thing. When it comes to your decisions in life, when it comes to your attitudes in life, when it comes to the problems of life, ask me first about it, God says. Talk to me. As he says, call on me. And I will answer. And so he provokes us here and says, you don't have it because you don't ask. There's a hunger and a thirst that God is calling us to. There's a simple uh, example of this in my life. And it's about me. And I'll share it because it's about my life instead of somebody else's to embarrass this morning. But every week I participate in this death-defying activity called preaching, right? I stand up in front of people and I give messages. And I love it. You know I do. And people often ask a question, how long do you study for a message? And and it, it varies. But here's the best answer I have. This is very deep and spiritual. No amount of study can really prepare me. I, I try to be academically and theologically sound. I do. I try to have enough background to know what the context is. And I try to find ways to make it practical. But here's the hardest part of preparing a sermon every week i got to hear from God about it. I've got to hear from God, period. And I don't mean to sound overly spiritual or holy than you, but it's true. I don't feel ready for Sunday until I come to a place where I feel like I have the message. And Beth will ask me, how's the sermon coming? I go, oh, I don't know yet. And I'll have it all written. And I'll, I'll go, what's the message? And there'll be a moment, guys. It's just amazing. God is so good to me. There'll be a moment. When my heart gets struck, and sometimes I cry, I go, that's what God wants them to know. And sometimes it's one line. Don't you wish I'd preach it this way? Just one line. That would be great. (laughs) One sentence sermon. But I try to boil them down into one sentence when I'm studying, when I get to that point where I'm humbled before God. And here's what I realize. It can be packaged up a ton of different ways, and, and personality comes into all of that, and all that can be good but it's got to be about the message. 
And you know what? Maybe I'll get up here and I'll bungle it up. Like last week, I played with my microphone the whole time because it wasn't working. I got it fixed this week. It's really cool. I'm not playing with it. Or I'll say really bad jokes. And I'll come on the verge of destroying my marriage. But still, if I believe I give you what God gave me, it's a blessed day. And to me, it's a miracle. And so when I pray, I don't pray about having good notes or being interesting, although I want to be. I pray about the message. God, what is it you want us to take home? See, I know I need that. I know I need that. And God has taught me that. And God has taught me that you've got to hear from me. Now, that's a simple example, but I, 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 it translates to me. And you've got situations in your life where you blow through and you do things, and you do them under your own strength. What would happen if you stopped in all the stuff you do and said, God, what do you want to do with this that I just tried to do? Hmm. See, there are so many factors in life that you just cannot control. And and whether we can control them or not, recognizing that God is the source of all life, all the good, all the inspiration, all the hope. When we come to that place, that's a perfect place to find yourself. It's a place of blessed difference. Windows of heaven open up when we're weak enough to ask God's opinion and really start living. We aren't living until we live in the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. You need to understand something. When it comes to these messages, he has taught me to be poor in spirit. And it can be scary as the week moves on. And I don't know if I have found it. And every time he speaks to me. Poor in spirit. Where in your life do you need to be poor in spirit? Where in your life do you need to say, you know, I I can walk through this a little bit. But I recognize if God doesn't do this, it's really not going to happen. Here's another time when we're in blessed difference. When, when you are in pain, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He said, when you are mourning, you're in a place of blessedness. How in the world can pain be a time of blessedness? That's crazy. As we've been talking about, we have a, a family in our body that's living out this mourning right now. And they're going through this time of grieving and trying to to figure this out. Pain is hard to describe because when pain comes along, it takes center stage over everything. It grabs onto our emotions. It grabs onto our thoughts. And its pain is so demanding. And it puts us in such a weakened state. But God says to us during those times, when you are in pain, I can comfort you. Mother Teresa's ladies live that out suffering brings about mourning that's the outcome and he says those who mourn are in pain and he says when you mourn god hears it god hears the mourning he hears the frustrations of your days he hears when you're crying because things aren't going well he hears when you're frustrated he sees when you're in those moments and you're in the valley of decision god's there and you mourn and you cry out to him he speaks to you and he can bring you comfort And guys, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to give you problems in life. You know that. Suffering and the results of just living in a sinful world. That's a reality for all of us. Even those of us who who seek to be close to God. 
Mourning comes to us who truly follow Christ because the ways of the world are not the ways of God. And as a result, life is hard sometimes. And Jesus said, those who mourn will be comforted. Can you believe that? Psalm 34 and 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, say it with me, the Lord hears. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. When in pain, here's what you do, cry out to God. He keeps it simple in his response, according to Jesus. He says, here's what I'm going to do when you're in pain. I'm going to comfort you. And he's true. He's true. It's true. You've walked through valleys of difficulty before, and you've seen God bring you comfort. It's supernatural, and it's amazing. And he says, that's what it's like to live in the kingdom. You'll find my comfort. Here's a third area. This will be the last one of the day, and it's this. When you are humble, you are living in a place of blessed difference. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, to me, a simple definition of meekness is this. It means being gentle. And you can't be gentle if you have the wrong attitude. You can't be gentle with others if you feel superior to others. Now, this doesn't mean that you think of yourself as less than or never good enough. That's not what I'm talking about. It just means that you choose through God's Spirit to let others be preferred. That's different. Usually, the human experience is all about the acquisition of things and wealth and power and being better. And wealth is a good thing, but wealth that leads to abusive power or being intolerant of others or being impatient with others because they're dumb and you're not, that's not a state of blessedness. God says, when you are meek, I can give you more. Jesus says that even though someone is humble and they may go through life with hardly anything that they have achieved, they will in fact one day inherit it all. See, God's way to bless you is not just through what you earn. This is important. And maybe for men, this may be slightly more important to understand because we put a lot of weight on what we make sometimes. But God's way to bless you is not just through what you earn, because God's way to bless you is through an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance. That's what we've been studying in this series. And what an example we see in Mother Teresa's prayer team. They were powerful, they were strong, they were able to serve and to give and to minister because they were just humble about it. So many times you see people wanting you to know how powerful they are, how intelligent they are, how loud they can be, how talented they are, and they want to gain more power, more privilege, and more prestige. That is not the way for the person pursuing the kingdom of God. Jesus says true blessing comes from lowliness. Practice that. See how different you will be. Open the door for other people. Men, young men, be a gentleman. Be humble. See how it changes the world around you. I had a friend of mine that was a director of a, of a theme park, the, the CEO. And on opening days and any day, you'll find him in the park with a bag around his shoulder and one of those sticks in his hand where he picked up trash. The CEO. Just trying to be humble. What do you think of that? So some scholars suggest there's two parts to the Beatitudes as we wrap it up this morning and kind of two sections. This this first section 
has been about humility and lowliness. And the next section is going to be about holiness. But just this piece about humility, I wonder what you think. I wonder how your heart flips when you read about being humble, about being meek. Does it speak to you? Does it irritate you? Does it speak to you in a way that says, I want more of that? I want to truly be a servant. You've heard me say before, you know you're a servant when people treat you like one. Can you do that? Can you be that? If you will, watch the kingdom of heaven grow around you. Watch people being changed because of who you are. Being humble. When you're in pain, go ahead and mourn. Cry out to God because he's listening. He says he will help you. And God says, I'm there for you. Just answer. Just ask and I will answer you. Happiness is not having everything you want, but it's wanting what you have. And what you have today, if you know Jesus, is the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me, church? I love you guys. I tell you, I really do. And every one of you, I pray for your souls. I pray for your hearts. I want people, when they think about harmony, to say wonderful things. I want them to say, it's a powerful place. Because those people are so humble. They'll say, you know, that guy goes to Harmony Church. He is, you would just never know. He's so good. He's a good dad. He's humble with his kids. He's humble before others. And you can tell he prays. You can tell that he knows without God, he's nothing. At a football game recently, my heart always gets touched when I see, I know it happens on the Guthrie team, the kneeling in the Lord's Prayer is prayed. That's good stuff. So I pray that for your life today, that you'll just ask God to speak to you about his kingdom and show you the real way to be a great dad, a great mom, a great boyfriend, a great girlfriend, a friend. I pray for that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in, in the hearts of our church today and in the hearts of everyone listening. Every heart you love, every one of us you love desperately, and you are fiercely seeking us. And here's what.